Welcome back to a Cotton Bowl post-game Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Bill Landis at 2.48 Central Time. Yeah. 3.48 Eastern after Ohio State's 24-7 victory over USC in the Cotton Bowl. First, a quick apology. We did not do a Buckeye Talk pod yesterday as a final pregame Buckeye Talk podcast. And why did we not do that, Landis? Uh. They had Media Olympics in the uh, hospitality suite here, and there were prizes and games to be won and glory to be had. So uh, we skipped the podcast. I think I don't think we realized that we were skipping the podcast while we were winning medals and and claiming glory. But yeah, sorry, sorry, it didn't happen. I, I I you were supposed to say the thing about how we work so hard we didn't have time to do it because we were working so hard. Oh yeah, no, that wasn't the case. And we got tired after working so hard. Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, so we didn't do it, but we're doing it now. We have more questions from you guys that still apply to this. We'll we'll talk about the game briefly, but we want to talk about the future. We want to talk about if Ohio State will be better in 2018 than it was in 2017. And 2017 was pretty good. 12-2. and two. Here's a stat that's interesting. J.K. Dobbins brought this up before the game. I wrote about it a little bit. Um, he didn't bring up all these stats. These guys don't know stats. That's the only reason we're here anymore is to look up stats. Yep. Ohio State avoided, with this win, Ohio State avoided what would have been its third season in the last 13 with at least three losses. So they won. They finished 12-2. and two, And that means since 2004, when they went 8-4 and four in 2004, since then they've only lost three games or more twice, which is unbelievable. One is the 2008 season when... All those uh, juniors came back for a final run after consecutive national title game losses. And James Laurinaitis and Malcolm Jenkins and Brian Robisky and Alex Boone and all those guys came back. They thought they were making a national title run. Um, and then they lost to uh, USC early in the season. And then they lost to Penn State. And then they lost to Texas in the Fiesta Bowl. And like the last minute, this Colt McCoy led Texas down the field. Um, and then it's the 2011 season that got sideways with the NCAA stuff, and they went six and seven. So every other year, 2005 on, they've had two losses or fewer. So like they kept that going. Urban Meyer still hasn't had a three loss season at Ohio State. Um, it's crazy. So everybody always wants to win, but like that is a, and, and there's no stat of like, non-three-loss seasons. This is just a thing. But that's a pretty big deal. So they won the game. I actually started thinking about something else in the middle of talking there, and I have no idea what my point was. Did I have a point to that beyond stating the fact? I don't think I did. Uh, No, I don't think so. Okay. So anyway, our favorite barbecue spot. Yeah. I didn't leave the hotel for three days. We went outside for the game today. I had not been outside since December 26th. We shot shot videos right out front of the hotel on Tuesday afternoon. And then from then until we got on the media shuttle to the stadium at 3.30 p.m. Central Time, you had not left. You didn't leave this building. You drove across the entirety of the state of Texas, and I did not leave. I didn't even get to the first floor of the hotel. Say, you, didn't go, you didn't go below the third floor. I went from the second, the 20th floor to the third floor, and that was it. Um, so we want to talk about the future, but, like, do we want to wrap up? Like, what else do we want to say? We did a video saying farewell to JT. We talked about Denzel Ward in a video. We don't need to get bogged down in that. Um, 
Here, I'm going to throw in a random Kyle Brandenburg question. If a recruit calls it University of Ohio State versus the Ohio State University, is that insight to where we stand on their list? Can you read anything from that if they call it the University of Ohio State? Uh, no, I don't think so. It does happen a lot, and I get. I guess I could see why fans might get a little annoyed by that, but uh, no, I don't think that means anything. Yeah, it, there's a lot of confusing university stuff, and it's like yeah. – you guys know that it's Ohio State University because, like, you like Ohio State. There's, like, I don't know. There's at least probably 50 different universities in America. And some of them put the university at the front and some of them put it at the back. And we can't expect high school kids to know each one perfectly. Yeah, I, and some colleges even do it. Like, Oklahoma is OU and has, like, OU on their midfield logo, but it's the University of Oklahoma. Is it really? Yeah. I I still get UK and KU confused, like which U- one's Kansas and which one's Kentucky. UK is Kentucky, KU is Kansas. I'm not going to remember that. I can't remember what I what I was saying in the middle of my first rant of the podcast. I'm not going to still remember that later. Um, the University of Oklahoma's website is ou.edu. That's insane. How, how did you not bring this up before Ohio State played Oklahoma twice in the last two it was years? A serious misstep on my part. I apologize. Andrew Ardle, our guy. When they leave, which quarterback will be revered and respected more by their team and fan base, JT Barrett or Sam Darnold? Sam Darnold is the better quarterback, but I feel like describing JT as mythical. That's a great question. Hmm. Sam Darnold did on uh, what's today Friday become the first USC quarterback ever to throw for 4,000 yards. He passed Carson Palmer. Um, which I thought was interesting. I would have assumed with the quarterbacks they've had, someone would have got that number already. But I guess it's a it's a pretty crazy high number. Um, yeah, I don't like Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's got a conference championship. He's got a Rose Bowl championship. JT's got a couple bowl championships and a Big Ten championship. Um, Darnold's career stats are probably better. Maybe not total touchdowns, but yards are better. So, like statistically, they're not. All that different, I, I suppose. But yeah, I, I'm not an expert in USC football, but USC's tradition of quarterback play is much stronger than Ohio State's, I think. Or at least recent quarterback play is much stronger than Ohio State's. So. Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler, um, John David Booty. Um, it's hard to believe that was really a person's name. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Like J, JT, yeah, gets talked about like he's a legend and, or, uh, yeah, mythical. And I, I don't know. Maybe they talk about the way I say about Sam Darnold. I don't live in Los Angeles, but JT's got every Ohio State record imaginable for a quarterback, so it makes sense to me. I think JT is better off in the record books than he is in real life. Like I think he has now gone into history, and that is better for fans and better for him. Um, now that he's done, he can be mythical. Now you can just tell stories about this guy that won all these games and played in the Big Ten Championship six days after arthroscopic surgery and broke his ankle against Michigan and rolled on a scooter for the playoffs and still backed his team and carried a young team to the playoff in 2016. He was this great runner who had the crazy fourth quarter against Penn State. There's all this stuff that now you can talk about with JT Barrett now that it's past tense because you don't have the present tense hanging over it. Because in the present tense, half the time you wanted Dwayne Haskins in there. So, like, I do think JT is going to be mythical because nobody in the history books is going to be like, oh, yeah, like I kind of wanted him benched after the second or whatever, third game of his senior year. 
You're not going to talk about that because he wasn't. Ohio State went 12 and 2 and everything was good. So I, I, I think these were arguments in the moment that are not going to trail him into history. So it's let, let's let him go into history. And I think maybe he will be mythical in Ohio State more so than Darnold will be at USC. Um, because it's not, you know, when you're talking about that kind of thing, you're not talking about NFL potential and where you got drafted and all that stuff. You're just talking about what your guy, what your guy did for your university. And when it comes to that, JT Barrett stacks up pretty well. Yeah, he does. I, I think um, I actually don't think he'll be mythical. I think he'll be like the guy who finally ushered Ohio State into the era of modern quarterback play. And I know Terrell Pryor had crazy numbers, and Troy Smith was a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, but we said it a thousand times. The only reason JT's numbers are are so high in the record book is because Ohio State ran the ball um, fifty times a game for a hundred years. So. I think he'll. I, I hope that that he's respected in the way that he deserves. But I also think that it's very possible that in the not too distant future, and I'm talking like three, four, five quarterbacks from now, that JT Barrett is not um, as highly regarded as as he is now in terms of where he stands in the record books. Because I think he just like he ushered him into the new era with crazy, not technically not even like super crazy numbers, but some of the stuff that guys do around the country now. Um, but and then maybe that's something he should be remembered for in the moment. But I don't think like the myth of JT Barrett. I don't think is going to carry on much longer than a couple of years from now. But listen, but he is the Big Ten all-time leader in total yards and total touchdowns. Like, do yeah, you think? He did and, it with, well, so he started all of fourteen. He started like half of fifteen, all of sixteen, and all of seventeen. So yeah, I mean, longevity helps. So, but like Drew Brees, th- those records had had been there for a while. And again, this is a conference. That does not traditionally have very good quarterback play. So I think, like, do you think it's will JT Barrett be the Big Ten's total yardage leader ten years from now? Uh, I think it's really hard to find a quarterback who's going to put up those kind of numbers that that will also play four seasons. So yeah, maybe, maybe, but I think I think guys are going to chase him and, and catch him pretty quickly. If there's ever a three-year three-year starter at Ohio State, I think that quarterback, whoever he is, will put up comparable numbers. I think he might. I think he might be atop the record books for a while. So I think that's going to have an effect. Um, Lil Buck fifty-five. Do you guys think Ohio State's defense will be better next year, and why? Better than this team? Now this team put on a show defensively. We'll talk about the game a little bit. Let's detour into that right now. Like, was that a great game? Like, uh, there's some split in the analysis of the game in terms of that was a dominating performance that is some kind of proof they should have made the, made the playoff versus, eh, God, that game didn't have any scoring for the last 32 minutes. It was kind of weird and boring. Yeah, the defense played great, but, man, they certainly shouldn't be on the same field with Clemson. They would have gotten killed. Like, do you, there, there's definitely a split because there have been things written both directions. What are, what are we taking away from it? It was a great performance by Ohio State's defense. It was a great performance by performance by Ohio State's defensive line. Um, I thought the linebackers played pretty well. They weren't really – I thought USC might put Ohio State's linebackers in some, in some tough positions in the past game, and that didn't really seem to happen. Um, and we were just watching a game, a tight end just caught a pass in front of like four tight ends. Or for for the four linebackers, um, 
I thought the corners were just okay without Denzel Ward. Um, I thought, yeah. So overall, I'd say it was a great def- defensive performance, and frankly, one that I wasn't totally expecting. I thought the defensive line would get after it, but I still thought Darnold would be able to make plays, and he wasn't really able to. Um, but it wasn't a great game. It wasn't a great win. I don't think it's a win that anybody will remember. It certainly wasn't a win that validated anything in my mind. If, the only thing it validated is that Ohio State shouldn't have been in the playoff um, because they're an incomplete team. And the strides in the passing game that <clears throat> we thought they had made when we watched them beat Penn State, I guess, like kind of weren't there. And against a USC defense that is not very good, they weren't able to throw the ball. And for the first time all year, they weren't really able to run the ball either. Um, so their offense—that was are, shocking. Yeah, their offense was very average. I thought maybe even below so um, for their standards, especially when it comes to running the ball. So great defensive performance, um, kind of a letdown offensively. Not a great win, but I said it in the video we shot on the field after the game. It didn't really matter how Ohio State won as long as they won because this was just like the closing chapter of the 2017 season and the closing chapter of JT Barrett's career. Like, what are you, I'm not going to break down X's and O's from a game that was a glorified exhibition. So they got a win. Good for them. Um, no validation for playoff talk. No dominance. I think there's like a scientific principle or something, too, that's like, just because something happens after the fact doesn't mean that the original decision was wrong. Right. That, like, there isn't and, – and the other component is, and you brought this up, Bill, is that, okay, so Ohio State didn't get in. They did this. The team that did get in still has to play. And, like, I think Alabama might win the national championship. So, like, if the number four seed, just like happened with Ohio State in 2014, and a lot of people did – because it's not science, it's college football, so you don't have to follow scientific principles. A lot of people did take 2014 as validation that the committee got it right. That was the first year of the playoff. They made kind of a controversial decision to leave out Baylor and TCU and move Ohio State around on the final weekend. And the result was the team they put in won the national championship. So whether it should be or not, that was some kind of validation. And if Alabama goes out and smokes Clemson, and on the list of things that could happen, that certainly is 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 in there. Mm-hmm. Then nobody's going to think that Ohio State should have gotten in. And and but even if they don't, even if Clemson kills Alabama, I do not think the average college football fan is going to sit around and think, "Man, Ohio State should have been in." I just think if 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 it's a game, as long as Clemson, the only way that door gets open is if a Clemson completely destroys Alabama. Because I didn't, I didn't watch Clemson all year. But I'm fairly confident in saying that the offense we saw against USC was not capable of beating Clemson. USC's defense is bad. USC's defense, I think, was 75th in the country in pass defense and 50-something in uh, – or no, maybe it was their 75th in total defense and 50-something against the run. Like This was a very average defense that Ohio State could not move the ball against. And Clemson's defense has been pretty great all year. And the, uh, most of the defenses in the playoff, with the exception of Oklahoma's, um, have been great all year. So um, I don't, I don't think Alabama has to win. I don't think Alabama has to blow out Clemson. I just think as long as that's a competitive game, then that's all the validation I need that Alabama should have got in over Ohio State. And we're not really intending to like nitpick a win over the number eight team in the country. I mean, Ohio State's going to finish in the top five. That's great. That's a threshold that matters. They finished twelve and two. But if but if you're trying to extend this conversation beyond the confines of AT&T Stadium, then you're forcing yeah. this game to be nitpicked. 
Uh, Ohio State was outgained 413 yards to 277. Now, USC ran a crap load more plays because Ohio State had short fields, had a pick six touchdown. 80, 81 plays for USC, 55 plays for Ohio State. But the average yards per play was the same. USC averaged 5.1, Ohio State averaged 5. Okay, now they won, Ohio State won the turnover battle, and that's always a huge thing. They forced those turnovers, they get a lot of credit for that. But Ohio State was 2 of 12 on third down. USC was 6 of 19, which is significantly better than 2 of 12. Ohio State could not sustain anything. They had a 19-yard touchdown drive after the initial fumble. They had one really good drive, and they didn't even get in the end zone on that. It was 13 plays, 83 yards that finished. That was the, the, the back goal. half of the first quarter and led to a field goal on the first play of the second quarter. 13 plays, 83 yards. Then they had the pick six by Damon Webb, and then they had a two-play 59-yard drive. Which was like Paris Campbell sweep, I think, and then JT Barrett run. And then JT Barrett run. 45 seconds. So that was it. And then they didn't score in the final 35 minutes. And you don't think that wasn't like them just like – they were still trying. They just couldn't get anything going, right? They just they didn't give up offensively. No, I mean they they, they went into the mode of, of kind of running the ball, but usually when they're in that mode, they can still string together another scoring drive or two. But they could. There was no the running game was not explosive aside from JT's long run and the I think it was a, it was either a reverse or a jet sweep. Paris Campbell, I forget. But like Dobbins and Weber did nothing. Dobbins, thirteen carries, thirty nine yards, three yard average. Weber, 5 carries, 18 yards, 3.6-yard average. JT Barrett, 16 carries, 66 yards, 4.1-yard average. Overall, Paris changed it because he went for 3 for 42. Overall, 4.3-yard average. Um, All the sacks for Sam Darnold really hurt, but USC averaged 1.6 yards per carry. So I don't want to sit here after a 12-2 and season and a Cotton Bowl win and just spend the whole thing nitpicking them, though. But... It's just it's time for a change, right? So, do you think this this delve into some other things? I know this veered off of a defense question. I want to ask one question, then I want to get back to a point that will get us back to defense. There were complaints on social media about the play calling during the game. We'd seen that before. This has not been an uncommon thing at Ohio State the past couple of years. And if you remember, people used to complain about Tom Herman too. Mm-hmm. Now everybody longs for Tom Herman. They used to complain about Tom Herman. Um. In the end, what percent of the function of play calling complaints, what percent of the play calling complaints can be attributed to, since 2014, JT Barrett being the quarterback? And, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that's JT's fault. I'm saying it's a decision they have made of how they think to best run this offense and use JT because of the kind of player that he is that may possibly lead to a game plan that looks conservative or doesn't have a flow and because and one of the things is that like JT Barrett is such a solid leader, distributor and runner that it leads them to maybe not take chances and opening things up because they feel like if they fall back on JT things are probably going to work out but in the meantime it drives a lot of fans and a lot of media members crazy. Yeah, like ninety percent of, of of that, I think. And it's not. I don't. I haven't really thought about it in that way until today, when you're just kind of like 
trying to wrap your head around JT's career ending and the way the offense looked against USC. But it is, I think, yeah, JT Barrett has limitations as a quarterback, and that's not a surprise to say. So they do the thing that Urban Meyer says all the time about not shoehorning guys into a scheme that doesn't fit them. You fit the scheme to the guy, and that's what they did for four plus years, with, or I guess it's four years of JT Barrett. Um, I think at times they tried to put him in a different kind of system, and sometimes it worked against worse teams, and sometimes it didn't against better teams. Um, but yeah, I think it, in the end, it was just the thing that JT did best was the read option run game. And he was really smart about when to keep it and when to give it. So they did that a lot, which led often to JT running more than the running backs because the running backs are more dynamic with the ball in their hand. So you make JT keep it. And then his passing abilities are, are limited. So you don't throw, sling the ball around the field the way you would some other quarterbacks. And there are probably people saying, well, then why would you play the guy? It's because of the thing that you said. It's because JT Barrett checks every single box that Urban Meyer wants in a quarterback. And, like, none of that stuff has to do with actual football skill. It's all competitiveness and toughness and ability to extend a play and get a yard. So that's the guy that he rode with. Um, but, yeah. I did. And it worked a lot and of the time. it worked a lot. Yeah, I don't He 44 starts and he won, what, 37, 38 of them? Um yeah, so I know it created frustrating times. I'm I'm well aware of that. I watched his entire career. We both did. Um, but I I'm at a place now where I'm, and I hate to say it, like it almost makes me. No, I'm not going to say it. Tim Beck was bad. But um, <laughs> you didn't want to get in a fight in a hotel room at three o'clock in the morning. I did not. But it does. It. it I, I'm at a place now where I'm I'm like willing to give Kevin Wilson. <coughs> And Ryan Day, who I don't think called a great game against USC, like a chance to do it with a completely different quarterback. And they will have, no matter who wins the job, a completely different quarterback next year. JT Barrett, 11 of 17, 114 yards passing. Sam Darnold, 26 of 45, 356 yard passing. And again, that's not to say one is better, one is worse. Just what they're asked to do is so different. I do not think that we will see a line a statistical line like 11 for 17 for 114 yards passing when Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback. No. No, I don't think so either. So here's the question I want to get to that will lead us back to some of your questions, guys. You made a point, I think, in the middle of this season in one of our videos, wondering about the idea of, as this offense was improving, did Ohio State miss out on having a great defense as the offense now is getting better. Because in 2016, as much as we're pointing out some offensive issues right now, 2016, the whole season was offensive issues. Mm -hmm. Do you think in the end this was a great defense, this was a national championship caliber defense, and in the end was it once again – the offense that held them back, or when we look at why they're not in the playoff, you point to the Iowa game, they gave up 55 points, 48 of those points were given up by the defense. You can't say this was a national championship caliber defense when you had that on your resume, even if they kicked USC's butt. Yeah, I don't think it was it was quite there for the defense. Um, I, USC's offense is worse than I thought. I think their skill is pretty good. Their offensive line is bad. I thought this was like actually one of the worst offensive lines Ohio State's played all year. And they've played some not great ones. Now, Ohio State's front often makes teams look that way. So I'm not trying to discredit a defense that had eight sacks and basically dominated and completely frustrated a a potential number one overall draft pick. Um, 
But I thought throughout the season we saw enough flaws with the defense that, that overall did, I think, get better as the year progressed. But we saw the problems covering tight ends. Um, even, like, in the Michigan game, guys were open. The quarterback just stunk and couldn't and he couldn't hit them. Um, the Wisconsin game, some guys were open. The quarterback kind of stunk and couldn't always hit them. So um, I think it was a really good defense, certainly a notch below what it was last year. Probably not even quite as good as it was in 2014 when they won the national championship. Um, but I also don't think – I think now at the, as I sit here at the end of the year that the defense probably still was better than the offense. And like the way things were progressing in the middle of the year when I said that turned out not to be true. So the thing I was wondering about with this defense, and we'll get back to the questions right after this, with this defensive way it played tonight – um, I mean, the reason I thought Ohio State maybe didn't match up well in this game was because of Sam Darnold, was because Alabama doesn't have Sam Darnold. They have Jalen Hurts, and he's a good quarterback in his own right, but he's not Sam Darnold. And Kelly Bryant is a good quarterback in his own right, but he's not Sam Darnold. Mm. What would this defensive line had? what would it have done against, because it would have been Clemson if they were in, if they had played Clemson. Now, we know Clemson's defensive line is maybe better than Ohio State's. That's been the contention all year when Greg Schiano said, hey, this is as good as an NFL, NFL defensive line. Even then, a lot of people said, well, I'm not even sure it's the best one in college football. Clemson's might be better. I think Clemson's de- defensive line proved over the course of the season it probably is better. Mm. And it has just as many NFL guys and even higher picks um, than this line has, and this line's great. Would this line have been dominant against Clemson? Could this line have, for l- lack of a better phrase, won the game for Ohio State if they had been the four seed? Or do you think like a decent chunk of what happened tonight was USC's offensive line just being very subpar? I think a big part of it was USC's offensive line being (coughs) subpar. I also think it was Sam Darnold probably should have run a little more than he did. He had that one nice run where he kind of ran in the middle of the field for I think it was 14 or 15 yards and actually I think like made Nick Bosa miss and made a nice cut in, in the open field. Um, but he didn't, I think that was the only time he did that. And maybe it was, he didn't run because he just didn't have time to, um, I don't know. I don't, it's hard for me to say because I didn't watch a ton of Clemson and I don't know how good of a runner Kelly Bryan is, but I think any quarterback that's like willing to run negates at least a little bit of what Ohio State did against USC because then you can turn things upfield and, and gain some positive yards and, and call off the dogs a little bit, make Ohio State back up. But, um, this was a dominant performance from what I think has been a dominant defensive line all year. So I think this is a defensive line that is good enough to help Ohio State beat probably anyone as long as the offense is doing its part. It's, it, I thought coming into the year when we were all like, this is the best collection of defensive ends ever, and this could be the best defensive line in the country, I thought it was kind of overblown a little bit because we're just in the Ohio State bubble and we knew how good these guys were and, and weren't totally aware of what else was happening around the country. I don't know if it's the best, but I would listen to an argument now that it is. There were times, though, tonight where Ohio State was in the backfield like in two seconds. Yeah. And and if you're in that quick, at least half the issue is that the guy going against you has no shot to block you. Or there was another time, and I hate when this happens, Sam Hubbard got a sack when they didn't block him. Like the blocking scheme was off, and they let him run free. And I know you take the inside guys first, but it's like, yeah, if you don't block Sam Hubbard, he's going to get to the quarterback. Nick Bosa's first sack, 
mm-hmm. came when he was one-on-one with the tight end. Yeah. This is the same kind of thing that happened, and I always remember it. In 2006, when Ohio State got killed by those Florida defensive ends, and everybody blamed Alex Boone, uh, those guys were going up against tight ends or were going up unblocked because of the look multiple times, and you end up blaming the offensive line and a lot of it. I mean, it's a blocking scheme. It's a lack of an adjustment. It's you're bringing too many guys, and they can't cover everybody. But there were times tonight, Ohio State's defensive line was great, and they did win a lot of one-on-one matchups. But a lot of times they were in matchups they never should have been in or they weren't matched up with anybody. So, I mean, there were some breakdowns that weren't only physical, I overpowered you or had a move to get past you. Sometimes it's like, what is USC doing? Yeah. These guys are running free. I thought both offenses had like questionable plans for when it was clear that the defense was bringing pressure. Like there, there wasn't a whole lot of quick passes. There wasn't, I think... <coughs> USC tried a tunnel screen one time, and Jalen Holmes made a really nice play of batting the ball out of the air. Um, but it was like they were both offenses were caught off guard by the idea that Ohio State's awesome defensive line is going to come at you on third down, and that USC's defense that was second in the country in sacks is going to dial up a blitz, dial up a blitz more often than not. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, the bo- I thought both defensive lines were very effective, and and both offenses did a very poor job of adjusting to each. All right, we're gonna give we're gonna. Tease you that we're going to get to some NFL talk here in a second. In situations like this, all the reporters, it's an open locker room for half an hour after the game. It's part of the rules of the bowl. Um, it's the playoff system. It's like you don't have a choice. Ohio State would never let us in the open locker room to talk to anybody we wanted to for half an hour if it was up to them. They feel very uncomfortable when we're in there. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the, the players that we're talking to aren't uncomfortable. No, it's the, but yeah, like the staff and the media people yeah. are not happy because. And just so you guys know, when we have these opportunities, like we didn't talk to JT Barrett, we didn't talk to Billy Price, we didn't talk to Tyquan Lewis. Like we talked to the young guys we never get to talk to. So we talked to Tate Martell. We talked to Thayer Munford. We talked to Jeffrey Okuda. We talked to Keandre Jones. We talked to Brady Taylor. That's who we talked to. So we're running around talking to guys we've literally never talked to before. But one of the other things you have to do is you have to check in with guys in case anybody wants to declare for the NFL draft in the locker room after the game. (sighs) Nobody did. But there are decisions to be made before January 15th. Clearly some guys are going to go. One decision was made, actually. Denzel Ward made a decision. He announced that when he announced he wasn't playing. So Denzel Ward is going, no surprise. Uh, I would look for somebody to make an announcement um, on Saturday. Uh, and then there will be other people who say they are making decisions, but, you know, like Paris Campbell said he has a decision to make. Draymond Jones said he has a decision to make. And when I said, Nick Bosa said earlier, you're coming back, he was like, yeah, Nick Bosa has no idea what I'm thinking. <laughs> Nick Bosa was like standing two lockers away. So like Draymond Jones, we joked about it and like – Asked a lot of questions about it, and he was very coy about it. I got no read either way. That guy could go either either direction. Um, I didn't get to Jerome Baker. I'll be very surprised if Jerome Baker is back. I would imagine he's just he's too good. He's going to yeah. go. I think. There, uh, you talked to a bunch of the receivers, and you didn't other than, you didn't get a vibe, right? No, I, I so I talked to Paris Campbell, and he said he doesn't know. Um, I talked with Johnny Dixon, and like I asked him two things. I said like, "Are you entering the draft?" He said, "I don't know." And then I asked him because I think there's some questions as to whether or not. He's just like healthy enough to continue his football career, and I like I know he played this year, and he had a lot of touchdowns, and he looked pretty good. But it's he has arthritis of the knee that like it's going to be with him the rest of his life. And I just said, are you going to play football next year, whether it's at Ohio State or in the NFL? And he said yes. 
Um, so that's not a draft decision, but that's a, I think if you thought there was a chance that Johnny Dixon might not play again after this year in any capacity, he seems intent on doing so. Um, and then I talked with Mike Weber, who, uh, Ooh, this is an interesting one. Yeah. So Mike Weber during Carmen, Ohio was like in the third or fourth row back of players on the end. Um, wasn't singing and like just had tears streaming down his face. And then we caught up with him in the locker room and he was still sitting in his locker room, like full uniform pads on and everything, like still crying. And I asked him, like, are these happy tears or are these sad tears? Because he looked like a guy who just like knew he had played his last game. Around me a little bit of like, remember before the 2015 Michigan State game, everyone knew it was Zeke Elliott's last year, but he was like crying pregame as like the senior day stuff was going on because he just knew it was his last time in Ohio Stadium. And then he cried after the game because he didn't get the ball enough. <laughs> um, so I thought this was like Mike Weber, like it hitting Mike Weber that his college career is over and he's ready to move on. And he he didn't say that. I think it was like very much mixed emotions. He was happy that Ohio State won. I think he was frustrated with how much he got the ball in the game against USC. What was it again? Again, five carries, 18 yards. I think it's – One catch, 16 yards. It's possible he wasn't on the field in the third quarter or the second quarter. Um so I think he was upset about that, and he was just upset in general that after rushing for a thousand yards as a redshirt freshman last year, he had very big plans for himself, and I think probably thought this would be his last year. He'd go out on a high note and he'd go to the NFL, and then obviously that didn't happen for him. He was injured and he got passed by J.K. Dobbins, and I think it was just all hitting him in that moment, and he was crying. Um, and I said, "Are these happy tears or are they sad tears?" And he said, "They're both." And I said, "You look like a guy who knows his college career is over." And he says, it's, "God, you were grilling him, dude." Yeah, I felt bad. I like prefaced it with like saying, "Like I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just like telling you what like this is what the vibe I'm getting from you." And I said, "You look like a guy who knows he played his last college game." And he said, "I don't know that yet." So um, he has not made a decision. But based on what I observe from him in the locker room, I would be very surprised if he's playing at Ohio State next year. Yeah. I mean, we did all this before senior day, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's just all logic, and it's just logic, and it doesn't mean, and, and the logic is slightly more sophisticated than first round picks go, anybody else stays, you know, because there's lots of things that come into play. You know, Noah Brown left last year, it was a seventh round pick, but made a roster, and like, you know what, like, I don't know that anybody could say he made a bad decision. I don't know, maybe if he would have come back. But you saw how they threw it this year. They didn't throw it great. I mean, was he going to improve his draft stock? He has an extra year making money. I don't know. So it's 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 an individual decision. But yeah, I think a lot of people think Mike Weber is going. Um, so I was going to tease that talk, and then we just talked it because it was so interesting. Yeah. But you guys think that's interesting, so we want to tell it to you. We're going to run through some other questions. This is. Lil Buck 55, who brought four questions to the table. We're not going to get to everyone, Lil Buck, but we like your stuff. Do you guys think Ohio State's defense will be better next year, and why? Um, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I think they're just going to have like better athletes, like better better players. I don't know; they're going to be really young. Um, but when I think about like Chase Young and Nick Bosa and Jonathan Cooper and all the defensive tackles, Haskell Garrett. Robert Landers. Defensive like, tackles are going to be, I think, significantly better. Jayshon Cornell. Like, it's like Tracy Sprinkle and Michael Hill or whatever. They're great. They they played. Um, I think that them moving on opens the door for players who I think are better than them. Because and, – and if Draymond's back, that's great. But if Draymond's not back, you know, he had the injury in the middle of this year. Like, he was good this year. He maybe wasn't as dominant yeah. as he wanted to be. Um, but they have a chance with – 
B.B. Landers playing a bigger role. Some of these younger guys, whether it's someone like Haskell Garrett. I think Greg Schiano mentioned Jay Sean Cornell. You just mentioned Jay Sean Cornell. I, th- I mean, that guy was a major, major recruit when he got yeah. here. I think he could have a breakout year. Uh, they have a couple freshmen coming in. Of all the play, we, we've talked about defensive tackle issues for a couple years. They might be really good there. They'll be they'll be the best they've been since Urban came here for sure. I don't know. I I'm, I haven't been covering the team as long as you. I don't know like what you might think the best defensive line was, but yeah, I mean like Jonathan Hankins. That was something even in the Tressel era that was a big deal. And when they got Jonathan Hankins, that was like that's the kind of game changing guy inside who gets pressure, who can run sideline to sideline. Jonathan Hankins was great, so they might have. And, and, and Michael Bennett was good, and Adolphus Washington was good, but Jonathan they were, Hankins they was were deep, great. Though. And that, that 2014 line was not deep. Yeah, so I mean that that group could be much. That's where you start the improvement, I think, is their potential. Yeah, I think I think they're as crazy as it sounds to say because they're going to lose. Was it three NFL guys, potentially four with Draymond? Um, I think they could be better next year. Um, I think the linebackers might be a little better. I don't know, like, and that's just because like Baron Browning is probably going to get to play, and he's a linebacker talent unlike anyone they've signed so far. So I, I don't know quite how the pieces fit together, but like Byron Browning and Keandre Jones and Malik Harrison would intrigue me and excite me, and, and think there's certainly an opening for them to be better as a group than they were this year. I, let me say, I talked to Keandre Jones. I think for the first time since he's been here. He's played two years on special teams and as a backup. Mm-hmm. It was like a talking to a 25-year-old man. Really? Like that guy is – I mean, he's cut. He's mature. He's smart. He's humble. That guy is ready. That guy has laid down a baseline of two years of doing it right, and I think he is ready to do something next year. A lot. Tough Borland played well this year. All, all credit to Tough Borland. Talking – I'm very easily swayed. I want to say yeah. by Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold thing here in a second. I I am like Jimmy Haslam. I sway with the winds. The last person I talk to I think is great. So I'm all in on Ke- <laughs> Keandre Jones and I had a very intimate three-and-a-half-minute conversation, and he's my new favorite football player. <laughs> so I have concluded, based on my three-and-a-half-minute conversation with Keandre Jones, that if the starting linebackers next year next year are Baron Browning in the middle – and Keandre Jones and Malik Harrison outside, I will not be shocked. Yeah, that, if you would have asked me before the season what I think the starter lineup will be, I would have said that. It's just that Tough Borland kind of emerged a little bit. And that's no slight on Tough Borland, and they'll probably play more than three. They'll play more than three, and I think like, <coughs> like Tough Borland will be like a specialty kind of guy, like a specialty like run stopper. And Baron Browning, I think, is a guy you can leave on the field regardless of, of down and disc. Like you're talking about a guy who is a linebacker and like a cornerback in high school. Like he played everywhere. Um, he's a he's a freak athlete. Like as much as people are like are excited to see Chase Young because of how freakishly athletic that guy is, like Baron Browning is the same kind of deal, but like faster and can play linebacker. So um, yeah, I think I think Browning, Keandre Jones, Malik Harrison, Pete Werner's a guy they like. You hear his name a lot. He did some stuff on special teams. Um, so yeah, they could be four or five, legitimately four or five deep at linebacker next year. And I think if they are, they'll play them well. And then the secondary, uh, Damon Webb had a really good year this year. They got to replace him. Denzel Ward had a great year. Okuda's ready. I talked to Okuda. I mean, he's ready to be great. I think everybody thinks he's going to be great. He had like three. I thought he played pretty well against USC. He had three pass interference calls, two of which weren't called. Two weren't called, yeah. Um, so that which was is a, that's a, that's a vet move. Yeah, that's true. He's really good away with, really yeah. good at getting away with penalties. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's it's going to be a young, aggressive, fast. Like I don't. They're going to get after it. Now the one problem potentially is that Bill Davis sounds like he'll be back. Yeah. Because <laughs> Urban Meyer said like he, he doesn't expect any staff change. Right. So they'll have to overcome that, fight through that. Maybe um, some dumb NFL team will hire Bill <laughs> Davis to be its head coach. Yeah, the NFL, like the half, the, the, a third of the teams in the NFL are going to change their entire staff. So yeah. maybe the Browns will hire him back. Um, let's see. This is Jock Fistick, who was a little upset at Miami Buckeye that we didn't do the podcast. Sorry, he, wasn't ups- he wasn't upset. That's not fair. That's not fair. He was to, holding to us Jock accountable. Fistick. He was holding us accountable. And I did like that some people pointed out that. Promising a podcast and not delivering it was bad customer service, and I'm the guy who was complaining about bad customer service on the last podcast. I will say this about bad customer service. It's free. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, when the restaurant starts giving me food, if it's the wrong food, I won't care. Yeah. <laughs> Jock, if you had to spend the holidays with one of Ohio State's coaches, who would it be and why? Oh, uh... Which holiday? Like the like the Christmas holidays? I'm assuming. Um, Kerry Combs, I think, is a very warm and inviting person. His family looks lovely. There's yeah. all these grandkids running around. There's like 90 of them. Um, so, like, if you're looking for like, I think like the the wholesome family experience, Kerry Combs is your guy. Um, I don't know Greg's do drawer personally, but he just seems like a guy who could put down a few, you, and I wouldn't mind having a beer with him. You know, you just want to hang out with offensive line people. Yeah, they yeah. are your people. We can talk about like not fitting places. I think seats being too small and stuff like that. I want to sit around the fire and have um, Larry Johnson yeah. in a Santa hat read me the night before Christmas. Yeah, on Christmas Eve. Can I can I do that? I think he would do that. I, I'll, I'll say you. this: I think he's done that before, probably like for his own family. But he might do it for you. I mean, we're like family. Yeah. I mean, what is more like family than a reporter covering a college football coach? It doesn't get any closer than that. Kyle Brandenburg again. Which food would you most want to participate in a food eating contest for? I'm sorry. Someone just sent us a tweet 37 seconds ago. It's 4.30 in the morning on the East Coast. <laughs> and Chad M. Chad M. Sneela? He said, I stayed up all night. Oh, wait. Is I he stayed, waiting for this I podcast? I stayed up all night nonstop for the next Buckeye talk. Sad emoji. Oh. My man sent that at 4. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is a, this is a live tweet. Tell him, yeah, we're inside his own head now. I'm going to tell him we're currently recording and talking about you. So now, right. Now he's going to be listening to this later as you type this now. He might get sucked into a vortex as he listens to this podcast. That's You know what that is? That's customer service right there. Complaint, answer on Twitter, yeah. and talking about it on the podcast. Go to bed, Chad. What was the question? I don't know. We're done. What <laughs> food would you most want to participate in in a food eating contest? Oh, buffalo wings. I saw that earlier. But I, I, we – but – I would do I could do boneless buffalo, but you you usually get boneless buffalo, but the last time we went and got wings, you got the regular wings, and I was shocked by it. I've I've said before I prefer the bone in wing. Um we were at Roosters and Roosters breads their wings pretty heavily, so I I, I don't actually really like bone in wings that are bred that heavily, but I was just in the mood for them that time. Maybe it was the last two times. Um 
But no, I, I like my chances in a wing eating contest. Really? Yeah. I've often thought about entering Wing Bowl in Philadelphia. Wing, really? Wing yeah. Bowl is like, uh, it's usually the Friday before the Super Bowl. It's at like four o'clock in the morning because it's on the it's on the morning talk radio <coughs> show. People go to the Wells Fargo Center, which is where the Flyers and Sixers play. The thing sells out, and they just watch fat dudes eat wings. But then they started opening it up to like people outside of Philadelphia and like and uh, professional eaters. So like Joey Chestnuts won it, and like one year, this woman named it's just like a black widow was her nickname. Yeah. She's like, weighs like 65 pounds and she won it one year. Really? And that's when I stopped caring about it. Cause I thought it's, it, it was, it was an every man kind of competition for the fat men of Philadelphia. And then all these ringers came in and started winning it. God, that would anger you. Yeah. Also, I, my dream scenario of this is that we get Chick-fil-A as a sponsor. And then that's the time when I tried to eat a hundred Chick-fil-A nuggets during a podcast, we have our own nug bowl. Ooh. Nug bowl Nug with bowl. Buckeye talk. Yeah, and at, at Nug bowl you eat free Chick Fil A wings, free Chick Fil A nuggets as sponsored by Chick Fil A, and uh, and we do the podcast in a competitive situation. I have no doubt that I could eat a hundred Chick Fil A nuggets. I, but the last time we did it, it was a competitive situation, and, and you, you had already backed can, out of it. No, but not really. There was nothing on the line. Pride. There's no money though. I want money. All right, I'll bet you a dollar. A car or something. Oh, man. Fiance, this is DeLillo. Fiance has listened the last two days with me while driving. Both were both off from work this week. She hates Bill's voice. She loves yours, Doug. She likes the food talk a lot. Which departing Buckeye has the biggest cotton bowl besides JT Barrett? Um, Nick Bosa. Yeah, Nick Bosa. The defensive line, I think, is going to play really well. Yeah, me too. We recorded that chunk before the game. Do you guys change up your Chipotle orders? This is a Can good question. Can I say question. something, by the way? Yeah. I have not had very many people tell me they don't like my voice. You know what? I actually think you actually do have a objectively better voice than me. My, I always thought that my voice was sort of deep and soothing, but I think that I sound like a teenage girl compared <laughs> to you sometimes because I get excited and I go like this. But you're always deep and mellifluous, and yeah. I am, on your behalf, slightly offended by that take by Doug DeLillo's girlfriend, it, fiance. It, it, that like I, people say stupid crap to me on Twitter all the time. That like actually hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah, DeLillo, play that for your fiance. Yeah, and people She's, people are entitled to their opinions, I suppose. I just think yours is wrong. <laughs> Do you change up your Chipotle order? <sighs> no. I usually get the same thing. I haven't gone. We, had, we were talking about the Chipotle the other day, uh, but no, I usually get a burrito bowl always with chicken and uh, like sour cream and guac and cheese. Yeah, no, I never, I never change it. I, I only change up between the burrito bowl and the burrito, but I get the same stuff all the time. The only thing that I changed was when they had the chorizo for a while because I always get chicken. Yeah, I started getting half chicken, half chorizo, and then they got rid of the chorizo. Half chicken, half chorizo was a was a prime order. That's a pretty good order. That's a, yeah. No, I, I don't know if I've ever had anything other than chicken at Chipotle. All right, what's your order? My Chipotle, like the full yeah, thing. Give it to us. Burrito bowl, um, white rice, no beans, <coughs> double chicken, hot salsa, cheese, guac, sour cream. Out. Mine is either in a burrito or burrito bowl. Brown rice, chicken, no beans, fajita veg. Like one and a half hot salsa, cheese, lettuce. 
I don't like the lettuce. I think they put too much on there. <clears throat> Their hot salsa, I really, really like. It's good because I don't think I'm. I like spicy, but I don't like too spicy. But I think that's got so a lot of times the spice overpowers the flavor, and I don't think that is the case with the chipotle hot salsa. The, the thing that is the, the hardest thing with chipotle, and I'm, this is not a unique chipotle take, is just that everything's car- compartmentalized within the burrito. That it's like you like it. It doesn't get spread around enough. Yeah. You know what I mean. That it's like sometimes it's like oh that bite was like all salsa. Yeah. And now I took three more bites and I didn't get any salsa at all. It's like a it's like a cob salad wrapped in a tortilla. In a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian May at the Real B May. What's your number one chief concern for this game? Darnold picking apart Ohio State linebackers in coverage. Uh, I have no concerns. I think Ohio State wins by seven. Yeah, I think Ohio State probably. Like, I think Sam Donovan might, like, throw for 400 yards, but I don't think he'll throw any touchdowns, and he might throw a pick. And it could be a big pick, like a pick six, like, early in the game. Ooh. Yeah. But I'm not too concerned about it. Let, let me – I just want to get this out here. How wrong was I? You were pretty wrong. You were pretty wrong. And, it was, I, and I was thinking, like, it was the – I think it's the first time really all year that you've been wrong about this team. Because, like, everybody was wrong against Iowa? Yeah. But like, and that was my only incorrect pick coming in straight up. And I was like, what was I against the spread? I was, you guys were both coming in, we're five and eight against the, no, that's 13. Yeah, five and eight against the spread. I think I was like nine and four. So I got this really wrong because I feel like I've been on this team all year. I picked the Oklahoma loss, um, picked them to beat Penn State. Like I just feel like I just feel like I got this team and like its ebbs and flows again, other than the inexplicable Iowa thing. Did you pick Oklahoma? <clears throat> yeah. Remember I picked Oklahoma and then I said by kickoff I was like almost sure Oklahoma was gonna win. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were uh coming into the game, you were twelve and one and nine and four against the spread. Tim and I or Tim was eleven and two, five and eight, I was ten and three, five and eight. <clears throat> And so I got it really, really wrong because I just thought Darnold was going to have a really – and like he did have a good statistical game, but he didn't really have a good game. And he, I, I felt like he – the pressure was so great. I didn't realize how bad their offensive line was. I didn't realize it was that bad, I think. Want to hear a crazy stat? Did yeah. you see this? No. This is from Reign of Troy, the USC site. It's a fan-sided site that covers USC. Ronald Jones had 19 carries for 64 yards. USC lost. The Trojans are 20 and one in games in which Ronald Jones carries at least 15 times. And he had been a workhorse. I mean, he had like 30 carries in the Pac-12 title game. They had really been leaning on him. I think in the last five games, he'd averaged like 25 or 26 carries per game. I thought he'd get loose a little bit more. He popped one or two. They just really, really like you were exactly on with like you just thought like. Defensive line will dominate, and that was the story of the game. Yeah, that's I mean that's all it was. That's and I know block them. People were saying like, well, why aren't we focusing more on the other side? Then it turned out that like the other side of the ball like didn't matter that much because like the USC defense wasn't dominant, but it was solid, and Ohio State didn't really do much, and we already went through how they didn't really move the ball that often, and so it was on one side of the ball. Um, this is this is interesting from ESPN Chizzy. We can talk about this, even though it's a pregame question. How should Ohio State fans feel after a win or loss? I know it doesn't matter much in the grand scheme of things, but winning is so much more enjoyable. Like, Yeah, feel good about it. You know, like I thought it would – like you should feel good again. Like feel good now that it's over. Yeah. But I don't – like do you think fans felt good while it was going on? Like we were sitting there saying like we thought that game sucked. I think like people – people obviously wanted to win, but I think more than anything people wanted to be entertained. 
And that was not a very entertaining game. So, in, like, in the end, you're happy with the result, but the four hours it took to get there were not very enjoyable. That was, that was a bad game. Very, like, sloppy on both sides offensively. Scoreless second half, and man. Scoreless, like, final 32 minutes. Yeah. And, like, I understand, like, it's one of the things. We're not – we're sophisticated enough to enjoy good defense. But come on, man. There was a bowl game today. It was 55-52. Mm-hmm. Are you seriously going to sit through a scoreless second half in a bowl game? Come on, man. You're supposed to take some chances. I thought, like, Ohio State might try a trick play. How about this as a trick play? JT Barrett under center. Like, Twice. two or- They did try. So, if you, got, if you guys read on Cleveland.com, and I think we would have talked about it, too. When I went to practice on uh, Tuesday at AT&T Stadium, they were doing some stuff where they were faking play-action handoffs and then, like, sprinting out a little bit and then throwing a ball either to the back or to a tight end. And they tried to do that. It's just that you, like, maybe USC was reading Cleveland.com. Whoop, whoop. Um, they tried, like, a play-action pass JT Planet to go through a, throw a throwback pass, I'm assuming, to a tight end, and it just wasn't there. And I think JT might have gotten sacked. Um, but, yeah, they went under center toys. G Nelly, what's up, G Nelly? G Nelly ninety seven. Does it seem like Urban isn't sold on hitching himself to Dwayne Haskins? Based on his comments uh, on Thursday and throughout the year, is Urban too tied to having an elite quarterback who can run to embrace a pocket passer? Like that's been my question with Dwayne Haskins the whole time. But I feel like my question about I've, I've I said this multiple times. I felt like the thing that happened in two thousand fifteen with Cardale Jones and JT Barrett was that it proved to me that Urban Meyer can't live in a world where his quarterback is not a runner first, where his quarterback does not run the zone read really well because he did not know what to do with Cardale Jones when Cardale Jones was in there for a full season in two thousand fifteen. That has made me apprehensive about Dwayne Haskins the whole time, but most of my apprehension was alleviated this year by watching Dwayne Haskins play. I think he's. Okay. I think he'll scramble okay and make some plays. I think they'll just give it to the running back and yep. be fine. So I'm not nearly as concerned as I was initially. And I'm not reading anything into the comments on Dwayne Haskins now or during the season other than like he's just not going to start talking about 2018 all that much while 2017 is still going on. Yeah, I, I basically agree with all that. He's not like he's not going to come out and say Dwayne's the guy now. Um, and I don't even think I'll be surprised if even if they name a starter in the spring or after the spring. Um, there'll be an or on that depth chart, I think. Um, yeah, I think before, I think it was, it wasn't, uh, I forget what the wording of the question was, but it wasn't like an unwillingness on Urban's part, I think, to go to a pocket passer. It was like an unwillingness to go away from JT because of all the things that JT means to Urban. Um, but no, I'm not, I don't have, I don't have that fear now. I think it's, I'll be surprised if it's not Dwayne. I hope it's Tate, or at least I hope it's a competition. I think Tate plays regardless, but I think I'll be very surprised, and everyone will be if it's not Dwayne. Do you think Urban Meyer, like football guy, Urban Meyer play caller, and again, we talked about that this year, how Urban Meyer really likes the big picture, have a job fair kind of stuff, CEO stuff. He's not as much of a nitty-gritty play calling guy as he used to be, but the the, the nitty-gritty football guy that does still reside within Urban Meyer, isn't that guy excited about, 2018 offensively and yeah. having like new new things to work with. You can like do this analogy a thousand different ways, but it's like it's your favorite toy and now you got a new toy, man. I mean, JT Barrett is Woody and Dwayne Haskins is Buzz Lightyear mm-hmm. and like he's going to like flip his wings open and have that flashing red button and 
be really excited, and then what happens to Andy? They pull his head off and uh, set him on fire. Uh, no, not not to, to Woody. Is he murdered in Toy Story? Woody's not murdered in Toy Story, is he? No, he's not murdered. Like, he's almost murdered. I was trying to think what Toy Tate Martell would be. <laughs> yeah, you just went off, like, on a whole, like, you just had a... I'm, like, running through the characters to see who you could be, and I haven't... Through, like, a slinky dog... Yeah, Mr. Um, Potato Head. Ken doll, Mr. Potato Head thing in your head. You just had a five-minute conversation with yourself. Yeah. Where you, I'm like... I'm still having it. The big pink, like, kind of, like, nice at the beginning, spoiler alert, then mean pink-purple teddy bear. Oh, like, yeah. the third one. Not the old Prospector. God, no. I hated that character. Old yeah. Prospector. I know it. I've never seen Toy Story 3. Uh, I just ruined it for you. I'm sorry. I heard it sad. <laughs> Do you cry? Would you cry? At, I cry at movies I, like that all the time. I once cried during an episode of Baywatch. <laughs> it was like a Special Olympics episode, and they were helping the athletes, and it was really touching stuff. And I was sitting in my living room crying. And then it was like dinner time. We had to go out to the dining room to sit at the dining room table. I'm like trying to wipe the tears from my eyes so my family doesn't realize that I was crying watching an episode of Baywatch. I love when Buckeye Talk gets personal. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the Ohio chicken wing scene? I.e. roosters, Quaker steak, B-dubs, etc. I think I don't like B-dubs. Do you? Buffalo Wild Wings, right? Yeah. I think their wings are bad. Yeah. And like if it's in your name and your wing's bad, it's like shut, shut down shop. Like, like I never go there. Because roosters Never. are everywhere. I really like Frickers, which we have stopped that multiple Do times. It's frickers. just that it's not in Columbus. And I, and I did not get on roosters for a while, but like we, there was a time, like there are stretches where we live at roosters and they know us. Mm-hmm. And like they asked us, like when we were in a couple of weeks ago, like where we'd been. And we explained that we just have to go to McDonald's sometimes for the outlet to plug stuff in. Yeah. And they were like, well, we have outlets in the back. Like I think they might get like a, a like a strip plug. Yeah. So that they can get they're us to come eat wings. Build us an actual office in there. Yeah. So I really, really like roosters, and I'm a little bit mad that Pat Elfline has the uh, endorsement, and not us. I respected that move so much. The guy just set himself set himself up to get free wings for life. He doesn't care about the money. He just wants the free boneless wings. He's an evil genius. He like yeah. mentioned roosters while he was still in college, yeah. and then was sort of like, "Oops, I can't be endorsing yeah. things in college." And he's like, "Talk to me when I graduate." Yeah. <laughs> Lock that down, Pat Alfine. Yeah. So much respect. Um, I yeah, I like roosters. I don't like B dubs. Uh, I've been to Quaker Steak like once or twice, and I think it's inconsistent. But when it's good, it's good. Um, I like Winking Lizard. I yep. Think, I think there's like two in Columbus. And there's obviously a bunch in Cleveland. I think Winking Lizards. Winking lizards, bone-in wings are like my perfect kind of wing. Okay, but they're like they're like they're not breaded. They're kind of fried. They're not super heavy on the sauce, um, but there's enough there to get <coughs> flavor. I really I really enjoy their wings. So that's where the wing eating contest will take place. Yeah, Winking- they're, they're pretty big. They're, I think they might be too big for a contest, but um, yeah, that's more along the lines of what I'm looking for. Also open to you, winking lizard, if yeah. your PR director is listening. Yeah. This is a great question. Dave Fitzgerald at Buckeye Fitzy. What type of tacos did Bill Landis and our future quarterback from Lake Travis eat? Oh, yeah. Well, the Torchy's Tacos with Matt Baldwin earlier this week. Um, he ordered what is called – so here's what, like, he, he was – I drove there, pulled in the parking lot, and, like, we were supposed to meet at 1 o'clock. I put in the parking lot at, like, 12.58, and I was like, I'll be fashionably late. So I got out of the car at 1.02. But he was already he was already in there and had already ordered. So now I look like a jerk. 
But you want to make, you're creating the Bill Landis aura. Yes. Putting this teenager in his place. So anyway, he had ordered, I walked in and he said, are you eating? And I said, yes. Yeah. So I went in line and ordered my food. But like, I didn't know what he ordered before I ordered. I mean, I ended up ordering the same taco. Wow. Which is called the trailer park. And it's just a fried chicken. That's like a, it's like a chicken tender almost is, is the protein in it. And then it's a flour tortilla and cheese and all the other stuff. Um, but he ordered his trashy style. Which is, they get rid of the lettuce and then like smother it in queso. And he had three of those. And then he also had chips and queso, <clears throat> chips and queso. And I ordered one of those trailer park tacos. And I also ordered a chicken fajita. I didn't want to overdo it. I probably could have sat there and had 12 because they were really good. But I also didn't want to look like a slob in front of Matt Baldwin. If your taco is smothered in queso, can you still eat it with your hands or do you end up eating it like your taco with a fork? Oh, no, it's not. Sorry, smother might be no. It's not like it's not like rolled up and covered in queso. It's just okay. like they add queso to it and get rid of. They get rid of the vegetable and add the creamy cheese. That sounds like a philosophy of life. Yeah. Think about all the situations. I would like you in 2018 to find ten situations where you can say the phrase "get rid of the vegetable and add the creamy cheese." Okay. All right. Last couple. <laughs> let's make this the let's have two, last two. John Macon, at J-A-M-A-K-A-N-7. Have you guys gotten your barbecue yet? No. Nope. I don't think we will. You know what? But I don't know. Like, I'm sometimes confused in Texas because my instinct in Texas is still to go, like, more Tex-Mex than barbecue. Yeah. I want to get tacos and fajitas and tamales and stuff more than I necessarily want to get barbecue because they're like, again, as we've said many times, Tim and I had barbecue in Kansas City, but I don't want to get Tex-Mex or Mexican in Kansas City. When I'm in Texas, I want to get Mexican is first on my list. Is that wrong? If if I think Texas and I think either Mexican food or Tex-Mex, am I wrong? Should I be thinking barbecue? I don't know. You might have like insulted the entire state. I'm not sure. Really? But I'm, but I'm the same way. I, I, yeah. It's such a big state. It is. Um, yeah. I just, well, I just like Tex-Mex in general more than barbecue. So I guess that's probably why I, I think the same way as you. Also, we found last time we were here before the Oklahoma game, last year we flew into Dallas and drove up to Oklahoma. We found like a hole-in-the-wall place right near the airport. It was awesome. Um, God, that was one of the best meals I ever had. Yeah, Mexican. Here's the fight. We're watching the replay. Well, but you know what? It was hard to see when we were watching it up in the press box. Like, a woman on the sideline got knocked over, and it looked like someone was trying to help her up, and then, like, looked like Malik Harrison was trying to go help her, too, and then, like, Sam Darnold grabbed him. But did Malik Harrison hit Sam Darnold? Is that what started? Oh, he hit him him super late. Yeah, it was definitely a penalty. But I do, I did But I think the scrum was started because Sam Darnold grabbed Malik Harrison. But someone did note that, noted on Twitter, that... Taekwon Lewis went straight to the woman photographer yeah. who had been knocked over and almost like was standing above her and protecting her as other players were sort of swarming around her just to make sure that she was okay and that nothing else happened to her. He's a nice guy, Taekwon Lewis. Taekwon Lewis. The people at McDonald's near campus love Taekwon Lewis. Did, I tell, that, did I tell that story on the podcast? Like, right, right before uh, the Michigan game, I think it was, I was in there doing work, and Taekwon Lewis came in, and he bought a drink. But then he, like, bought a drink and, I think, hugged every employee in the McDonald's. It was like he was having his senior senior day ceremony at the McDonald's. But I, we were in there all the time, and I had never seen him in there before. But yeah, yeah, me He either. had clearly been in there before. Interesting. Yeah. Or maybe Taekwon Lewis is just a hugger. 
Yeah, maybe that's what it was. He just for like hugging people. He's like, I'll go to McDonald's and give some hugs out. You know what would be a great story? I got a hug from Taekwon Lewis, yeah. colon, Bill Landis. What it felt like, how long it was. Yeah. There's still time for that. I don't think so. He's going to be making a lot of money soon. He doesn't have time for me. I'll tell you what. The one thing about the guys when they go pro, they don't hug as much. That's true. Yeah. They take the hug right out of you in the NFL. That's right. God, the NFL is such a business. <laughs> Last one, Tyler Shoemaker. Oh, here's the thing. I know we're like doing play-by-play. So like... Oh, oh that, that guy. guy. Oh, okay. I was wrong. He got shoved and was going after a USC player and Sam Darnold grabbed him. I take it back. But Taekwon Lewis being the gentleman, helping the woman out who fell over. But I also respect the idea of like, that was a fairly late hit on Sam Darnold. Yeah. And some USC guy just came in and was like, leave my quarterback alone. Yeah. Which is, you probably shouldn't do, but like the instinct there is fine. Look who's mixing it up. Damon Arnett. Really? Yeah. Damon Arnett is ready to, Damon Arnett, we always talk about like guys who really, really want to be the man. We always say, like, Mike Weber, we just think, really wanted to be the man. And it's not a bad characteristic. It's like, I want the load on me. You know, yeah. like, I want to be a guy that is relied upon. Uh, I think Damon Arnett wants that. Yeah, for which sure. Which is great. And he'll have more of a chance even next year, but he played a lot this year. Last one, Tyler Shoemaker at Buckeye Tie 23. Would this be a good podcast form for us just to rewatch games and do, like, a mystery science Theater 3000 kind of thing. Yeah. Where we sort of talk about topics and then we go like, oh my God. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that play. And then we talk about the play. I'd listen to that. <clears throat> Isn't the ringer doing things now where they, they just have people watch television show and then talk about it? Yeah. yeah. The ringer is a very successful group of podcast people. It sucks. Sometimes the ringer is so far up its own ass, it's hard <laughs> to listen to. I mean, we're the same way. <laughs> But that's the thing. It's like no matter how interesting you are, like no, nobody thinks the ringer is more interesting than the ringer. Yeah, we know that we're weird and dumb. Yeah, we don't think we're great. We're kind of we're kind of amazed sometimes if anybody listens to this. I think we're pretty um, inclusive too, and the ringer is not. Right. The ringer doesn't do anything inclusive other than when Bill Simmons does his mailbag. But then that also just turns into him like talking about Larry Bird for an hour. <laughs> You guys can like send the ringer an email and see if we can get that would actually help us. I sent the ringer an email one time because their uh, managing editor wrote a story. Oh yeah, can I tell that story? Tell that story. Okay, Brian Curtis is the managing editor for the Ringer, but before he was the managing editor for the Ringer, he worked for Grantland, and he wrote a story after, around the 2014 national title game about reporters asking talk about questions, which is just like, um, hey, Nick Bosa. You had two sacks. Talk about your good game, which is like incredibly lazy question asking, even though the sole purpose of our job is to get these people to talk about stuff. Um, so anyway, Brian Curtis wrote a story about talk about questions and how lazy they are and how stupid they are based off of the transcripts from the media day for the national title game that he wasn't at. And the lead to the story was an exchange between a reporter and Marcus Mariota that said reporter colon. Um, talk about your ability to process information. Is that something you've always been able to do? And then, like, Mariota, colon, his answer. I was the reporter. And I, and I didn't ask that question. That's not the way I asked the question. That's just the way the person who was transcribing 10,000 questions that were asked to Marcus Mariota within an hour, just to shorten the question up. My question was, like, because I had talked to Scott Frost, like, Scott Frost said that your greatest attribute as a quarterback is your ability to process information quickly. 
I was wondering if that's something that you've always been able to do or something that you developed over time while at Oregon working with Scott Frost, which still like isn't a great question, but it wasn't the question as presented in Brian Curtis's Ringer article. So then I wrote him a strongly worded letter and never received the response. You know, you know what? I think the statute of limitations is not exp- – I'm thinking lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, my, uh, my character was assassinated. I think we could sue them for one commercial. That if they could like if they could give us one of their sponsors, like maybe like Harry's Shave Club or whatever. They yeah. everyone well, the sponsors they'll give us is the Ringer Podcast Network. Everybody's always advertising their razors now. Yeah, I wish I shaved more, but I don't. I just keep a beard. Maybe if you shaved more, we'd have a sponsor. By I would shave if someone paid me to do it. Yeah, I would too. That's where we are at Buckeye Talk Podcast. I would blank. Yeah, if they paid me to do it. Fill in the blank with anything. Anyway, Brian Curtis is lazy. Ty- I can't have to go there. At Buckeye Tie 23, Tyler Shoemaker. What will it take for Urban to get a statue? Another championship? <clears throat> a certain number of wins against Michigan? Has he already done enough? That's a really interesting question. I think one of the creepiest things around is like statues of people who are still there. I think the fact that Nick Saban has a statue at Alabama is embarrassing. <laughs> like he certainly deserves one. Can you? I'm not, and you don't have to be dead. Just be retired. If someone built a statue of me in front of my office, and I had to walk past a statue myself every day, I would love it. But yeah. because I didn't want to seem like an egomaniac, I would set it on fire. Like, how can you live with that? So it's very. I saw if the scarecrow on your patio that was there around <laughs> Halloween was actually a statue of you. It started out that way, and then like it veered off because it wears a plaid shirt. Yeah, you think everything that wears a plaid shirt is a statue of me. Yes. So, I think it's really weird. It's it it's um, it's going to be interesting because like I thought Tressel was on a statue path, you know. Yeah. And then he's not going to get a statue, but I I think it just takes longevity more than anything else. Like I don't think you can build a statue of a guy who was there for six years. Yeah. Not when Woody spent as long as he spent Half here. his life there, yeah. So so Woody is out there now, and it took Woody a long time to get one. When did they build that statue? Four years ago? Yeah. Five? So, so it took Woody a long time to get one. So I don't think you can pop one up of Urban Meyer right away. I think he has to be here at least a decade. Because I think like the accomplishments, the record against Michigan, the Big Ten titles, the overall winning percentage – who he is in college football history, that he is not just Ohio State Urban Meyer. He is a legend in the game who is burnishing his reputation and finishing it off at Ohio State. Um, all those things. He deserves a statue. But but the main thing, I think, with the statue is like, I don't think Florida is going to put up a statue of him. And he won two national titles. There, yeah. but he was only there six years. And then he's gonna, he went somewhere else where he's going to end up. By the way, this is now Urban Meyer. He's now done with his sixth season at Ohio State. And he did six at Florida. So the first game next season will be the longest he's ever been in the school. Ooh, sounds like a story. <clears throat> I got to write that down. But that's the thing. You've got to be the guy at that place. I always think it's hard. Like, are they going to build two? Is he going to have two statues? No. He's got to figure out, like, the school has to figure out whose guy are you. And I think the thing I just said, like, he's going to end up being Ohio State's guy, even with what he did at Florida. Mm-hmm. Being from Ohio, how the way he talks about Ohio State and the state of Ohio, what he has done here. I think if he even, you know, I mean, if he goes 12-2 and two and finishes number five in the country for the next four years 
and doesn't win another national championship, doesn't go to the playoff again. I think he would be statue-worthy, but he's got to be here 10 years. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think Ohio State is also like stingy with the statues. Who like Woody Hayes is a statue, Jesse Owens is a statue, and is that it? I mean, and Jack Nicholas, I don't think has one out. He has one like associated with his. But yeah, but I mean, he's a whole building named after him. But Ohio State's museum. I mean, it's a place. It's a place of legends. I mean, you literally have to be like one of the greatest people in your field. Unless you're Brutus Buckeye, there's a bunch of Brutus Buckeye statues around. Did you know they made a Brutus Buckeye out of tires? I heard. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Someone should write a story about that. What waste of a good tire. Uh so anyway, that's my threshold: ten years for Urban. Yeah, I think. I even think like maybe one more national title, but the longevity of it matters too. Um, but yeah, I think I think he'll, he'll, he's pretty close to statue status. All right, so now we'll delve into one more from Little Buck Fifty Five because we're halfway there anyway. Do you guys think Urban Meyer will still be Ohio State's coach five years from now? Mm. So that means he's coaching. 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. End of the 22 season. Which would make him 58, 59-ish. Yeah. Still younger than 60. Um, No. Uh, No, I don't know, but it's not a confident no. I think he's going to retire. I I think he's going to be done coaching like around 60 years old. Um, So... And I still think there's might be a little part of him that might want to take a shot at the NFL. And I don't really know, I don't know him personally like that to have inside information. It's just like a thing that I think. Um, but five years from now, I think no, no. Yeah, I think it's close. I think like that's like if you were setting an over under, yeah, that's what you might set yeah. at five more years, be it eleven years at Ohio State, um, and get out before he's sixty. But yeah, that's the thing that's always hard. It's like. It's not just yes or no because it's like, well, the options are like stay, but then like the the options of like why you're not here are like because you retired, because you went to the NFL, because like something unforeseen, like the trestle situation happened and you're not here. You know, obviously I'm not predicting anything, but like, you know, there's just multiple things. There's there's a lot of different ways you cannot be here, and there's basically only one way that you can be here, which is you're here. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like you almost have to lean not just because there's too many things that could happen. But uh, but I'll tell you what, man, I think I think every God, this is a story. I think every Ohio State fan around the minute that Urban Meyer was introduced as the Ohio State head coach in November after the 2011 season. I think every Ohio State – he looked fast. We're watching this replay. He did. I thought that was JT Barrett on his – the first – what touchdown run was that? The last touchdown run? Yeah, it was 28-yard The 28-yard run. I thought it was the fastest he looked this year. I think it was the fastest he's looked in two years. It, it almost – it felt like that might have been like cleaned out knee fast. Yeah. That like when you play six days after your knee's cleaned out and you're slow, but when you play a month later – and you fix a thing that's been like bouncing around in there for a year or two, then you're faster. That might have made a difference if he hadn't bonged that field goal off the upright there. Yeah, I don't know, they still had to score three times, right? With like eight minutes left. Or no, I guess there was like just about the whole quarter. Cut to fourteen. Oh, because anyway. that was yeah, because that was the first play of the fourth quarter. He threw the deep ball, and then they were in field goal range. So, um, so I'll say no, but I think it's maybe possibly a yes. But the thing I was going to say is every Ohio State fan. I think the over-under that every Ohio State fan was setting in his or her own head when Urban Meyer was hired was, give us as long as you gave Florida. Yeah. 
give us six years. Guess what? You got the six years, and you just finished it at 12 and 2. You got two Big Ten championships and a national title. And a Cotton Bowl championship. And wins over Michigan. Oh, yeah, that too. Win after win after win. 6-0 against Michigan. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Listen, we got a lot of stuff from the young guys that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We planned a whole series about the future that we're going to drop sometime in the next month. It's really going to explain a lot of stuff. Um, we'll run through the positions. Look in the next week. Again, the deadline is January 15th to declare for the NFL draft. We'll be on top of all that stuff. And one one's going to happen pretty soon here. Um, so... There's a lot ahead. We may, we hope, we may get to talk to Urban Meyer maybe in the next week or so, kind of wrap up the season, look ahead. Urban Meyer took a lot of questions at the day before news conference at the Cotton Bowl about the future because that's how we work on this beat. We're thinking ahead because we know you guys are interested in the future. So we're asking Dwayne Haskins questions the day before the Cotton Bowl, and Urban Meyer doesn't want to talk about it, which is fine. But, like, I hope we get to talk to him, like, before signing day in February so that we can ask, start asking some of those questions and he'll be free to answer them because um, we cannot talk enough about what's going to change with this team because I think I think this is an exciting time for Ohio State yeah. football and for Ohio State football fans, yes or no? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, there's Because there's position battles beyond quarterback, but then it's like a very intriguing three-way quarterback battle that I think is much more interesting even than it was in 2015 because of how different all three guys are. So, yeah, I, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm very excited about what's coming. And even um, even beyond the battle, once the guy wins it, you don't know exactly how they're going to use him and what he's going to do. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So Twitter, Bill Landis 25 at Tim Bielek, who will be back joining us on the podcast and in the videos once we get back to Columbus, at Doug Maurice. Uh, read it at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to the Buckeye Talk podcast on iTunes. Make sure you follow us on, on Twitter, too. At Buckeye Talk Pod is the podcast's handle. Um, but subscribe on iTunes and other places. Thanks to you guys for a really good year. For a really good year uh, of interacting with you guys on the podcast, on Twitter, um, with the stories you guys read on cleveland.com. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We really, really like the podcast because we are self-important blowhards who cannot get enough of ourselves. And we appreciate you guys uh, giving us this outlet to um, foist our opinions <laughs> upon the world, whether they're wanted or not. So um, that's it. 12 and two is Ohio state season. They'll probably finish number five in the final poll. I don't think they should, they shouldn't pass anybody. I hate when like, you're an AP voter. Are you going to pass them? Are you like? Would you? Is I would there consider anything? putting them over Georgia. Um. Yeah, I think I might. I think I think I I could see myself doing it. Like I wouldn't put them ahead of Oklahoma. Oklahoma beat them. Um, but short of that, I think if I sat down and really compared everything, I might put Ohio State ahead of them. Okay. Well, that's the one because it's not. It's it's different than like. Sometimes, like you talk about, people talk about like penalizing a team for playing the extra game, like in terms of a conference championship. But there's not that's not the case here. Ohio State played a bowl game, so they're all still kind of on even footing. So I think Ohio State could maybe be like third. And the one thing is, I mean, you don't. I guess it does make sense. You don't have to be beholden to the committee, right? Just because they put these four teams in, you don't have to 100 percent agree that those are the four best teams because it is a subjective decision. 
it's not objectively the four best teams. It's the four teams picked by the committee. Mm-hmm. So the Bill Landis Committee of One can see it differently. That's true. Uh, the Bill Landis Committee of One is a tremendous name for your garage band. Yeah, I'll put it on the list. I'll put it on the list. Do you have a list of band names? No. No, because if I say yes, then I'll have to give you the names, and I'm not clever enough to think of them off the top of my head. Every right person now. should have a list of their band names, just in case. I have a list of uh, potential uh, strip clubs. Okay, give us that list. Okay, let me pull it up here. You actually have it on your phone? Yeah, it's like a thing that I do with my brothers because it's funny. Some, they're pretty risque. I don't know if I should say them. All right, can give us this. This is going as usual longer than planned. Give okay, us the I have least a, risque. I have a um, now. I'm an equal opportunity employer. I'll say that. So I have um, I have gentlemen's clubs, but I also have um, I have all ma- I call them all male reviews for <laughs> for the ladies. Yeah. Um, so I have an Irish themed all male review that I will call Shillelaghs. That works, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, a shillelagh is a is yeah. a it's a, a it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Send your strip club names to yeah, Bill Landis yeah. twenty five, yeah. and he'll send them to his brothers. I want to see if there's anything else I can say. Uh, nope, nope. No, they're too risque. When I was, uh, I remember this very vividly. When I was in middle school, we were in the library after school one day, and this girl that I went to school with, who was not very bright. Drew a picture of uh, two stick figures, um, and in between the two stick figures was a circle with a dot in the middle of the circle. And each of the stick figures had its extended arm on one side of the the circle. (coughs) And she said, uh, what's this? And I said, I don't know. And she said, two men walking a booby. (laughs) The joke joke is two men walking abreast. Yeah. Because it's a play on words. Yeah. But uh, I always wonder if two men walking a booby could be the name of uh, could be the name of something because it's kind of like two guys are growing a pizza place. But you can tell that joke if you want. I was just gonna add it to the list, and that's another club. He's Bill. I'm Doug. That was Buckeye Time.